Welcome to another episode of the Victory Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is a ministry of Victory Baptist Church in Valdosta, Georgia. To learn more about our ministry and the impact it has had in our community for over 50 years, visit VictoryBaptistValdosta.com. Now let's listen as Pastor Ward brings today's message from God's Word. And um, and I want to... I had planned on reading from maybe 29, maybe 31 on down through verse number 40, but we're going to drop all the way down to verse number 39 and verse number 40, and I'm going to do that for this reason. I want to give you a brief summary of what this chapter is about, and then we'll look at, I have the most simple outline that you have ever seen in your life this morning. Three points, and they are so simple. You'll be able to memorize them and carry them home with you. You won't have to write them down this morning. It's that simple. But this story, uh, this uh, chapter number 12 of the book of Luke, it has three major stories in it. Actually, for the most part, they're, uh, they're, they're warning, but it's matters of, um, of things that God wants us to, to understand, things that we need to understand. There's five major things that are given to us uh, in chapter number 12 of the book of Luke. Number one is the matter of hypocrisy, of being a hypocrite. That's, the word is actually used in uh, verse number one, I believe, verse number two, and uh, some of the other verses. We're not going to look at them this morning. Make a note of that. It's not in your notes this morning. But it is about being a hypocrite, about being a hypocrite. And uh, then there's another one that's given. It's in, the, it's in uh, verse number 15. He said, Therefore take heed, beware of covetousness, for man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. Number one is hypocrisy. Number two is being covetous. It's covetousness. And he deals with it to a great length in this passage of Scripture. And it has to do with several things. Uh, and it begins with, in the verse, with abundance. Abundance. Or excess. We know that in our lives that, that we, we have to have money to get by. How many of you know that? Would you raise your hand? Well, it's only about half the crowd raising their hand this morning. If you don't know that, we need to go back to Life 101, all right? It takes money to live. But when he talks about this matter of being a covetous person, uh, he's serious about this. It's a serious matter with God equal to the matter of being a hypocrite. You know, you know how, what God thinks about hypocrites and what Jesus called them. And likewise, if we're a covetous person, he gives us this stern warning about being that kind of a person. Now, when it comes to this matter of uh, covetousness, it's a matter of, of, of the abundance and the excess that we have in our life. The abundance and the excess. What do we do with all that? There are three things. There's three, there's three dimensions of our, of our financial life and stewardship life and all those kind of things. There are these three things. These are not in our notes. I just thought about them just a little bit ago. And uh, the first one being is what we have. What we have. The things that we have. The things, and he said it in the verse, the things that we possess. The things that we have. The things that we have. Quickly, number two 
is the things that we need. You've got to be able to distinguish between what we have and what we really need. And then, uh, then on uh, the last thing that's left over is that which is excess in our lives. And so that defines this matter of covetousness. And so we have the matter of the hypocrite and we have the matter of covetousness is dealt with in this passage of Scripture at length, at length. Matter of fact, that's one uh, um, of the uh, Ten Commandments that's alluded to this matter of the things that we have. God is very interested in what you have. God is very interesting in how you use what you have. The reality of it is that there's some, and you know that we're, we're, we're Christmas-spirited church. We're, uh, and, and from the leadership down, uh, we're Christmas-spirited people. We love this time of the year, but the reality of it is that some people, and I, I'm not trying to go down a dark path here, I'll move on in just a moment, but I've got to say this because it's in our stories. This matter of excess, what we have. And uh, when, you're, when, you have, when you have eight grandchildren and uh, you, have, um, uh, eight, you have four children and eight grandchildren and then three great-grandchildren, um, you, you can find yourself kind of spend a little bit of money at Christmas, you know, especially with the great-grandchildren. We have limits. Stephen, Andy, Tracy Marie, there's a limit on what we spend on them. And, but then when it gets to, to our eight grandchildren, uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit, um, you know, we're a little bit softer on where we draw the line, but when it gets to the, to the three great-grandkids, I mean, it's just whatever. You know, I mean, it's just out of the banks. And, and you say, ah, not me. Well, uh, that's just who we are. And uh, we, we love our family. And, but but that's, that's not important. This is what's important. This matter of the reality of it is that some people will spend more in, on Christmas in one shopping trip than they will spend on missions in an entire year. That's when it becomes a problem when it becomes a problem. The reality of it is, I don't mean to be redundant, but the average Christian in America spends more money on sodas, I can't say Coke or Pepsi or anything, on sodas than they do on getting the gospel to the world. That's when it becomes, and so this, and, and so he deals with this matter, and if you need me to discuss it further, just give me a phone call. I'm not going to bother everybody about that, but we know we know that's the case. Uh, typically, the month of December at Victory Baptist Church is one of the larger offerings of the year. I don't understand that. I, I don't know how that works out. In most churches, it's, it's kind of a, a sinking. It becomes a sinking fund, you know, uh, during the month of Christmas. And, uh, but let's leave all of that alone. Let's move on because I don't have a whole lot of time. And so these, these uh, discussions, I, I want to call them warnings, but I, I don't want to be... Uh, that uh, uh, blunt about it. Uh, these discussions about hypocrisy, uh, these discussions about the abundance of things that we have. And then the third thing is stewardship. It's mentioned in verse number 42. It is implied throughout the chapter, this matter of stewardship. Now we are stewards not just over what we have, 
but we are stewards over what we have that is excess, that more than we need. And we all know that we need to put up for rainy days. I encourage everybody when I meet with young couples, per, prospective uh, marriage, and I counsel with them, I do it for weeks and weeks and weeks and hours and hours, and I, one of the first things I deal with them is about their finances, about their finances. And I tell them, the first five years that you're married, don't buy anything you don't have to buy, unless you can. I mean, if you can, but if you really can't, then don't do it. And the other thing is, start a savings account the very first paycheck. If you're not paying yourself, if you're not putting something back, it doesn't matter whether it's for a rainy day or whatever, if you're paying Georgia Power and you're paying the bank and you're paying Ford Motor Company or Ford Credit and you're paying all these things and you're, you're paying a Visa and MasterCard and you're paying all these people and uh, you're paying Belks and you're paying here and you're paying there and you're not paying yourself. Something's wrong with that. And you don't have to be a certified financial advisor to see that point. And so we are stewards of everything that God gives us. Hello? Stewardship. And then, as Michael was talking a moment ago, the, ne the next thing that he wants us to understand, and we go through the outline quickly, not only the matter of hypocrisy, covetousness, stewardship, but value. He, he even mentions that in... Um, he actually uses these words. He uses this word in verse number 7. And he said, you are more valuable than many sparrows. And he tells about how valuable they are to him. How valuable every single sparrow is to him. Value. You may not feel important to your boss man. You, know, you may not feel like you're of any value to your boss man or your company. Uh, you, might, you might not be in, uh, in, the, in the front offices. Maybe, maybe you're doing something that nobody ever recognizes and maybe you don't feel like you have any value at work. Maybe you don't feel like you have any value in your home. Maybe you just feel like you're, you're kind of one of the... Uh, one of the decorations in the home and maybe you just work or maybe you just clean or maybe you cook or you do whatever you do. Nobody ever says they appreciate it. No, and, and you don't feel like you have any value in the home. You may not feel like you have any value in your school and, and maybe they never recognize you. Maybe you're not a... a uh, honor student and maybe you just make good you know you make your way through and you work hard and and so and you may not feel like you have any value you may not feel like you have any value at church you may you may think well I don't play the piano and I don't lead the singing and I don't teach a Sunday school class and I don't drive a bus all the things the pastor's talking about all the time all these things and I don't but I'll tell you something this morning you may not feel valuable in a thousand places but you mean something to him. You are of extreme value to God. Doesn't matter who you are or what you have or what you, how you dress or what you drive or what your bank account is or what your, which side of the tracks you live on or what you do. You are valuable to the living God. If I don't make any other point this morning, I want to make that one clear. 
You may feel like you're too old to, and you're in that part of life when you're saying uh, your, your, your conversation begins with something like this, I used to, or back when, and all those kind of things. You are of great value to him. And then the last one is life itself. That's found in verse number 23 when he said that life is more than raiment. And uh, this body is more than a place to hang a hat and put some clothes on. Our life is important to God. These five things are given in our story. Now with that said, I want to move along very quickly, but I wanted you, I wanted you to have that perspective on this chapter. In verse number 39, he said, And this know, that if the good man of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. That's a good message on the home. But verse number 40 said this, Verse number 40 said, Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. And so my question is this, my title is this, Are you ready? He said, Be ready. Now, there are several other related verses in the Scripture, and uh, we don't have to worry about turning to those. In Titus 3.1, he said to be ready to every good work. Now, for those of us that are saved, we need to be ready for whatever God, whatever He has called us to do. We need to be doing it already. But if He tells us, you know, if He has commissioned us to do something, we need to be ready to answer the call to do whatever he'd have us do. There shouldn't be anything in our lives, is what I'm saying. There shouldn't be anything in our lives that is more important than what God would have us to do in his service and in his work. It's hard to say amen right there. But it's the truth, to be ready to every good work. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse number 19, it's the declaration of your ready mind. That's where the battle goes home. The battle goes on right here. And, uh, but, but then let me hurry. I want to get on to our message this morning. 1 Peter 3.15. Uh, be ready to give an answer. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 6. Now ready to be offered up. In Romans chapter 1 and verse number 15, the, the apostle said this about it. He said, I'm ready to preach the gospel. Now all of us, in a sense, are called to be preachers. All of us, in a sense, are to call, are called to preach the gospel. We are called to tell the good news. We heard about that on Wednesday night. And I, and, and I, I want to be more mindful of that, that we are telling the people the good news. Now, I understand that uh, in, uh, and Paul's talking about his ministry. I'm talking about my ministry. But there, if, you know, to be a preacher like I am up here this morning, Three things have to happen. Number one, you have to be called. Number two, you have to be qualified. Number three, you have to be sent. And so we're not talking about somebody that's the pastor. We're not talking about the visiting evangelist. We're not talking about the missionary going to the mission field. We're talking about every single one of us are responsible about telling the good news. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Now that leads us to our three simple points this morning. The first one being, if you turn with me, or if you look on in the book of uh, uh, Psalms in chapter number 86. In Psalms 86, uh, point number one. I have three simple points and I'll be done. Point number one is God is ready. 
Hey, he's ready. And so the question isn't about him, it's about you and it's about me. Are we ready? In verse number one, uh, uh, we, we find out that God is ready to hear. Let's read a couple of verses. Verse number one, bow down thine ear. O Lord, hear me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my soul, for I am, uh, am holy. Uh, o thou my God, uh, save thy servant that trusteth in thee. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. Rejoice the soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer and attend to the voice of my supplications. In, uh, in the day of my trouble, I will call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. Let's stop reading for a moment. Let's, let's try to digest and process a few of the things that he said. And I'll just read them to you once again. In uh, verse number one, he said that he's ready to hear. Now, not everybody is willing to take a moment and listen to what you have to say. Remember the blind man that was there by the roadside crying out unto Jesus and the disciples said, shh, be quiet. The master's busy. He's got other things to do. He's got places to go and people to see and things to do. And that, that uh, poor blind man, he cried out again. Uh, that beggar cried out and said, Lord, thy son of David, be merciful unto me. And guess what Jesus did? He stopped in his tracks and he listened to what that man had to say. It's hard to get people's attention this day and hour. Usually when you're talking to somebody, you're talking to them, maybe you're sharing your burdens or the things that you're concerned about with them. And you can tell their mind is running. They're sitting there thinking. They're not looking at you. They're, they're hearing what you say. They're not taking it in, but they're thinking about what they're going to say when you get through saying what you're going to say. Isn't that true? But I'm glad that when you call heaven that you never get a busy signal. You never, you never, uh, get, a, you never get a, a voice on there saying, you know, that, um, that uh, this person's absent right now or not, not able to come to the phone, but if you leave your message or whatever, and then, you know, at the end of that, he'll even say, or you can hold on for more information or whatever the case may be. I'm glad that he's ready to hear. Because there have been times in my life that I needed him right now. Not only do we see that God is ready, but my question is, are you ready? Are you ready? God is ready to hear. In uh, verse number 3, God is ready to be merciful. He said it again in verse number 7. In verse number 7, he said, plenteous in mercy. God is merciful. He's ready. In verse number four, he's ready to lift us up. Now, we're, we're using uh, verse number five as our springboard uh, for this entire uh, chapter. He's ready to hear. He's ready to be merciful. Uh, he's ready to lift us up. I just threw that one in. I know that he's saying that I do lift up my soul. But God knows that we can't lift ourselves up by our own bootstraps. He knows that we are, for the most part, helpless to help ourselves and hopeless in the end. But he is so ready when we are down, when we are out, when, we've, when we feel like we have reached the final bottom of our destiny. He's ready to pick us up. Brush us off. Pat us on the back. Give us a little tap on the backside. Come on now, keep on keeping on. 
Say, hey, you know that preacher? Because I have been there and done that and bought a T-shirt. I know that he's ready to lift us up. I like this. Hmm. Uh, he's ready to forgive in verse number 5. I mean, if you're unforgiven this morning, if your sin is still stockpiled, so to speak, he's ready to forgive it all in a moment's time. He's ready to forgive. In verse number 7, God is ready to answer. Let's go on to point number 2. Look in the book of Nehemiah. That's just back a little bit before the book of Psalms. In the book of Nehemiah, we have another passage about the readiness of God. But are you ready? Are you ready to every good work? Are you ready of this uh, in your mind? Are you ready to give an answer? Are you ready to be offered? Are you ready to tell the story? God's ready. Point number one is God is ready. Now, I, I wanted to stay with my alliteration carefully this morning, so point number two is God is ready. God is ready. You ought to be able to memorize this one this morning. God is ready. In the book of Nehemiah, we find out very quickly in verse number 17, I wish that we had time to read all the previous verses, but, but uh, 13 through 17. But, but let's do look at verse number 17 for the sake of time. Talked about their fathers were proud and, and hard-hearted and hard-necked and all those kind of things. But in verse number 7, and said, Refuse to obey, neither were mindful of thy wonders, that thou didst among them, but hardened their necks in their rebellion, appointed a captain to return to their bondage. But look at the end of this chapter. But thou art a God ready. And I like what he said. He said that you are a God that is ready to pardon. Now, a lot of scholarly theologians and even some Baptists they don't like to use the word pardon. I, and I don't know why, because it's used so commonly in the Scripture. Uh, the word pardon, it is, uh, some scholars think that, uh, you know, that that's not a good word to be here. It means to be released from the penalty of an offense. To be released from the penalty of an offense. And they say that our salvation, our forgiveness is more than that. So I guess they tend to be a little smarter than God is. But Nehemiah said this, Lord, you're ready to pardon and I'm glad that God was ready to release me from the penalty of my offense. And I'm, listen, he chose to do it through the cross of Calvary. He chose to do it through repentance and regeneration and justification and sanctification and a thousand other terms that we could talk about this morning. But the reality of it is he let me go from my sin. He released me from my sin and my bondage and set me free. But that's not all he did. He's ready. God's ready to pardon, but he also, in, in the same verse, is gracious. The word gracious means to be considerate and compassionate. We're learning about God this morning. He's ready. I don't know where you are. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what your need is. I don't know what you might be troubled by. I don't know, what, I, I don't know what's ticking in you. But I do know this, that if you realize that you need some help from God, there's one thing that I've learned in, in 2022 that I can't do it myself. I can't do it myself. If we could come to the place that we realize that even the breath that we breathe, it's coming from Him. The next time our, our 
the, the brundle branch of our heart, the next time the natural pacemaker of our heart decides that it's time to fire, it's up to God. And he takes that, what is it, potassium and sulfur and magnesium in our bodies and, and it creates a, a energy and it fires our heart and we get our next heartbeat. But if God doesn't do that, we have nothing. We're totally. You talk about the depravity of man. It's not just his depravity as far as reaching God is concerned. It is every aspect of life. We are hopeless without him. I wouldn't want to live one day without Jesus. I don't want to die. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, I, there's, you know, I'm happy with life. But if I've got to live a day without him, I don't want to live that day. I'd rather be at home with the Lord. And so he's gracious. Here's some characteristics of God. There's five of them that are given to us in this passage of Scripture, and we almost are done. And so, number one, God is ready. Number two, God is ready, but we see how ready God is. He's ready to pardon because, number one, he is gracious. That means to be considerate and compassionate and approachable. Approachable. Politicians are approachable this time of year, and for the last... Six months, politicians have been approachable. We try to reach one in February and see what happens. But God's not that way. God is gracious and God is merciful. Merciful means that He is tender and gentle and sympathetic. You know why? Because He knows what we're made of. He made us. He knows that we're made of the dust of the earth. He knows every fiber of our body. He knows everything about us. And in knowing what we're made of. He's sympathetic. I'm glad that we have a God that's sympathetic. He's slow to anger. anger. That means he's temperate, he's patient, but most of all, he's understanding. Now, don't get, don't get him wrong here now. He's not, he, he's not a pushover, but all these things here lead us to the wonderful characteristic. And he said it's of great kindness. That means he's affectionate, He's helpful and he's charitable. And he forsook them not. That means that our God is ready. He is dependable. He's trustworthy and he's sure. And we should never forget it. What wonderful descriptions of our God that is ready to pardon. Look with me quickly in the book of Isaiah. Tracy can be coming to the piano. In the book of Isaiah, I'll close with this one. Point number three. Now what was point number one? Yeah, speak to me now. We have to start the whole thing all over again. We'll go all the way back to Luke chapter 12, give the five summaries of the chapter. Now, point number one is, point number two is, and likewise, point number three is God is ready. And in Isaiah chapter number 38, uh, verses uh, 15 through 20, he tells this long story about how wonderful he is and how great he is and how willing he is. And then in verse number 20, Isaiah said these words, the Lord was ready to save me, hallelujah. To save me. Read it for yourself, it's on the screen. The Lord was ready. It took me a little while to get ready, but thank God when I turned to him, I'm glad that he was already ready to save me. And I know there's a lot of people that postpone it. I didn't want to do that. As soon as I heard the gospel, I wanted to know more. 
That Sunday morning when I heard about that Jesus loved me and died on the cross of Calvary for all my sins and at 22 years old, I had plenty of them. And that Sunday morning when the pastor stood on his, on his toes and heels and preached till his tongue looked like a red necktie about the cross and about, the, about salvation, I was ready. That Sunday night when I went back to church for the first time I'd ever been to church, you talk about conviction and the Holy Spirit convincing us of judgment, of righteousness and of things to come. It, it's all happening at one time in one six or eight hour period. I was exposed to the gospel. I had the gospel explained to me. Then on Wednesday night, never been to church Wednesday night in my life, 22 years old, I heard it yet again. And then on that Thursday evening when the pastor came by my house with his Bible open and explained to me at about 10 o'clock in that evening what I needed to do. I'm going to tell you, friend, I was but I'm asking you the question. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, are you ready? If you're here this morning and you are saved and yet there's this work left to do and, and I know we're busy and, and a lot of things going on, but there's a work in serving Him. There's this matter of your mind. Is your mind ready? Are you ready to make the necessary changes in your mind that you can serve Him? Are you ready to tell the gospel? Are you ready this morning? I think it's obvious that he's ready. May you be ready as well. Jesus is coming. I, I know I took it a little bit out of context. And uh, maybe, uh, maybe the Sanhedrin won't watch a message this morning and con condemn me about it. Are you ready? Would you stand with us for prayer this morning? If you need someone to pray with you, when you come down, if you'll acknowledge that, I'll assign some lady to the ladies, some man to the men and the boys. But if you want to just come and pray for a moment, you just make your way down the aisle this morning. And so the question this first Sunday morning in December of 22, the year's running out. Are you ready? For whatever God has for you, are you?